Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, folks, we've been going through 1 Samuel... And we're going to talk from David's life. We're going to see another incident. But we've been doing with this series is we've been learning about faith. Lessons from Hannah, from Samuel, from Saul, and now David. Things that you and I can grab a hold of through their life that we can apply to our lives. Because in reality, as you've looked at the things that are happening in 1 Samuel, our lives are no different. You know, maybe we're not facing what they're facing in particular, but in general, we face the same things. In general, we feel the same feelings. And in general, we struggle. And struggle is normal. I don't know if you realize that, but struggling in your faith is normal. Don't ever let anybody tell you that if you have faith, that if you walk with Jesus, if you believe everything's supposed to be wonderful, and in the moment that you have a struggle with your faith or a struggle in your life, that you're abnormal and that something's weird. No, I would say you're weird if you're not struggling. I would say you're weird if you're not wrestling with your faith. And you need to grasp that. So today, we're going to talk about a crisis of faith. Now, what do you mean by that, George? Well, you've heard, maybe heard that somewhere we're going to talk about a crisis of faith, that point where you struggle with your faith in God because everything else around you is crumbling. Everything else around you is falling apart. Which, by the way, mentioning that makes you very uncomfortable. Now, why would that make you uncomfortable? Well, let's just face this reality. You and I are control freaks. you got to admit that, right? You like being in control. We want to be in control, right? And we try to do so many things in our life to keep ourselves in control and to insulate the, the things that happen that make us feel out of control. I mean, we've got whole industries based on that. Isn't that what insurance is? To make you feel like you're in control in case something happens? And so what happens, though, when... Life crumbles around you and you realize that you're not in control. And here you are as a believer and you, you kind of have a crisis, crisis of faith. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at that today from David's life and we're going to try to glean some things. So what we're going to do is, is first of all, we're going to talk about the issue of false security you and I operate with false security. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And then we're going to look at chapter 30. We're going to focus on verses 1 through 19 and look at David's life and see a couple of more things there. So let's first of all talk about false security. False security is very real. You know, I remember, how many of you remember this? I can remember back in the 90s. It's, it's amazing how political discussions change. How many of you remember back in the 80s and the 90s 
because uh, we're getting ready to get into a political campaign. Remember back in the 80s and the 90s, the political campaign topic, for especially for somebody running for office, was job security. Remember that? We used to talk about job security, about ensuring that everybody had a job. How many of you remember that, if you're old enough? You remember that? Job security. And, and then you realize that there's no such thing. That's why we don't talk about it anymore, because there is no such thing as job security, right? Well, you and I operate under a false sense of security daily because we want to be in control. So here's the first thing I want you to see. We operate with a false assurance that we have everything under control. We do. We, we operate with a false assurance that we have everything under control. We've got the right job. We're making the right amount of money. We're operating by a budget. We operate with this false sense of assurance. Because how many times when we think that everything is okay, we find out real quick that it isn't. The job security, that nice job you have, doesn't work out that way, does it? The health issues, all of a sudden, you got something happening. Like, where did that come from? You were just hunting, and yes, that tick did get on you. But now you've got limes and all the complications with that, right? You have this false assurance in your life that everything's going to be okay. And we, we like to delude ourselves that everything's going to be okay. And we like to be in control, and we like to manipulate things to keep in control, right? Isn't that what we do? I mean, I'm a manipulator. You're a manipulator. Let's just be honest. I mean, we're, we're not perfect here. We just like to be in control because nobody likes chaos. I'm, I haven't met a person yet who walks in and says, I just wish my world was upside down. Nobody lives that way. We want things normal the way it is every day, supposedly, right? But here's the second thing I want you to see. The Lord allows difficulties in our lives to prove how wrong we are. The Lord, because I'm going to be honest with you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have committed your life to him by faith, nothing happens in your life unless God allows it. You need to grasp that point. That's just the truth out of the scripture. So when that difficulty, that struggle happens, God allows it for a reason. Now, he may have multiple reasons, but one of the biggest reasons he allows it to happen in your life is to prove to you how wrong you are in thinking that you're in control. To prove to you how wrong you are. Because you're not in control. And let me just go ahead and say it. I'll say it for me. I don't like that because I'm a control freak. You know what I'm saying? Can you, can you bear witness with me about that? I, I don't like that. I don't like getting phone calls that this has happened or this crisis is going on. But God allows those difficulties. All right, so that brings us to David because David, folks, was a control freak. We've already seen it, right? He got sick and tired of the pressure that King Saul was putting on him, so he went and lived with the Philistines, the enemy of the people of God. He kind of led a double life there, attacking the enemies of Israel, but acting like he was just attacking Israel, because he's in control. He wants to make sure everything's okay for him. But sometimes God allows things to happen 
that blow your perfect world apart. And when I say perfect, we know it's not perfect, but remember, it's perfect because you're in control. And David thought he was in control till we come to chapter 30 and you find out you're not. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at this passage and we're going to look at a couple of things here. Number one, we're going to look at emotional bankruptcy. That's the first thing we're going to look at. And we're going to look at that through verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to notice with me verse 1 of chapter 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, and they did not kill anyone, but carried them all away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and it was, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people, the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Stop right there. Folks, that's emotional bankruptcy. I think you and I know that. Have you ever, I mean, there's been a couple of times in my life, it's usually been for family members. Have you ever come to the place where you you just cried so much you couldn't cry anymore, but you just kept crying? Ever been there? I've been there. You get there. It's emotional bankruptcy. It's where you, you are so grieved and pained by what's going on that you're just crying out and crying out and you're weeping to the point where you don't even have any more tears to cry, but your body is just aching. You're, you're just like groaning for what's happening. That's what's going on here with these guys. So here's David. Remember, Mr. I'm in control. I'm going to make sure life's perfect. It wasn't, was it? Here's three things I want you to see here. Three things that are going to speak to us, okay? Here's the first one. There comes a point when you're no longer in control. That's obvious, isn't it? you got to grasp that one down. Some of you really need to make a star by that point. As hard as we try to be in control, as much energy as we expend to be in control, as much planning as we make to be in control, have you noticed that there comes a point when you're no longer in control, when it's totally out of your control, and you're at the mercy of someone else? That ain't good, is it? We don't like being there. But folks, I'm going to tell you, every one of us, including myself, have found ourselves there and will continue to find ourselves there, continually being reminded that what? We're not in control. We're not in control. I don't like that feeling. I know you don't either. But that's part of emotional bankruptcy. Is coming to a place where you realize, <laughs> I'm not in control. 
I'm not in control. I mean, I, can I be honest? If you're a parent here, you know exactly what we're talking about, right? If you're a parent here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if you're under delusion that your kids are in your control, you are living in fantasy land. Did you know, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, remember that series, Fantasy Island? The plane, the plane. You know, yeah, you're, you're living there because that's not true because there's going to come a point where you realize you're not in control of your kids, right? You think you are, but you're not. And they'll prove to you real quick you're not in control. You're not. You're never going to be. And so there comes a point where you are no longer in control. Here's the second thing. The crisis amplifies the loneliness. I want you to notice with me there. Look at the verse 3. Look at what it says there. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And of course, verse 5 talks about his wives being taken. Then look at verse 6. Then David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. Listen, sometimes it happens that when you're not in control, the people that you thought would be the support network from you, have you ever wondered sometimes they kind of what? Turn on you? Until the point where you all of a sudden you realize it's just me. I got to deal with this by myself. I got no one to deal with this issue. And, and, and you're like, I'm alone. And I don't know what to do. And the world is crumbling. We don't like that feeling, do we? I mean, even just talking about that, I'm like, man, I, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. That desperation of loneliness. That's what happens, folks, when you're emotionally bankrupt. You realize, number one, you're not in control. Number two, you realize that you're very, very alone. Alone. And it's not good. It's not good. The crisis amplifies the loneliness. Here's the third thing I want you to see here. The crisis wrecks you emotionally and spiritually. It wrecks you. I mean, I couldn't choose a better word because the fact of the matter is, is when you're going through the crisis, you're wrecked. And here's how you're wrecked. You're, first of all, you're wrecked emotionally. Because let's be honest, let's talk about it. It consumes you. It drives you. You can't sleep. It causes you to quit eating or maybe eat too much. It wrecks you emotionally. And then number two, it wrecks you spiritually. What do you mean? You start doubting. You start wondering. God, do you really love me? God, do you care for me? God, are you there? God, why is this happening? God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It wrecks you. This is what's going on in David's life. And in David's life, he's got people ready to kill him. Because he's the leader. He should have been in control. But he wasn't, was he? And I want you to notice that second part of verse 6. It's going to go through verse 19 now, where we see David do something very interesting. I call it the return. Okay? I call it the return. Here it is. 
want you to notice with me. Verse 6, last part there we didn't read. But, that's a great word, isn't it? But. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. If you've got your own Bible, why don't you underline that phrase there. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Then David said to Abathar, the priest, uh, Amalek's son, please, please bring me the ephod here to, to me. And Abathar brought, him, brought the ephod to David. And so David inquired of the Lord. Let me just stop. First of all, what, what's an ephod? Well, it's a garment. It's a priestly garment. So David put on a priestly garment to go talk to the Lord, okay? And, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him and said, Pursue, for you shall overtake them and without fail recover all. So the Lord says, You go after them. You're going to get everybody back. Look on verse 9. So David went, he and 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, which is where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, for they were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. And they found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind, because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherites, in the territory which belongs to Judah, and the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with a fire. That's where David's from. And David sought him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken away, carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, neither small nor great, sons or daughters, spoils or anything, which was taken from them. David recovered all. All right, folks, let's talk about the return. I'm not going to talk about how God blessed them, because that's not guaranteed for you and I. But there are three things that we can learn about returning. Okay, here's the first one. The crisis makes you choose. The crisis makes you choose. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen this throughout my entire ministry. I've seen this in my own life. Here's the reality of the crises that we go through. I want you to hear me. You want to write this down. 
The crisis will either drive you to God or drive you away from God. Hear what I said? The crisis will either drive you to God or drive you away from God. And you know what? I've pastored a long time now, and I have I can I can tell you people that when they went through the crisis, they went right to God. God maybe didn't solve their problem, but they had the Lord to give them strength as they faced what they're doing. It drove them to God. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've, I can also tell you, you can probably think back in your own lives and your own thinking about church over the years. You've probably seen people who went through the crisis and rather being driven to God, it what? Drove them away from God. Drove them away from God. They got angry with God. God didn't answer them. Whether God let that thing happen. They thought Christian life was supposed to be wonderful and perfect and everything was supposed to be good. And, and they were driven away from God. This is what happens. The crisis makes you choose. Do you understand? This is why it's called a crisis of faith. You come to a place where you have to make a decision. You have to make a choice. Do I believe in God or do I not? I mean, he doesn't promise you he's going to take away your problem. Do you understand that? There's nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible that he promises to take away your problem. But he does promise, what, to give you wisdom, to how to deal with it. He does promise to give you strength to be able to deal with it. And he does promise to give you what? Grace. Grace. Mercy. As you deal with it. But you have to realize that the crisis makes you choose. Here's the second thing I want you to see, okay? You have to choose to strengthen yourself in the Lord. It's got to be a choice, an active part on your life. You have to choose to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You just can't sit there and say, oh, you know, I'm facing this, I know I believe, but you don't do anything. No, you've got to purpose in your heart that as you're facing this, you're going to do some things, and that is you're going to purpose in your life to choose him. Now, how do you express that? Pray. That's the first one. Get alone. And pray. And I'm not talking about showing up at church and making a prayer request. It's easy to do that, right? Have somebody else pray. But I'm talking about you getting and strengthening yourself in prayer. Isn't that what David did? David looked at the high priest now and Abathar and he said, bring me the ephod. Bring me the, the, the garment so I can go and talk with God because i got to strengthen myself with him. Now, how do you strengthen yourself in prayer? I'm going to tell you how you strengthen yourself in prayer. You're real. Like, what do you mean? You go to him and you tell him, God, I'm not doing well right now. God, I'm a wreck. God, I'm emotionally spent. God, I'm spiritually struggling. I need you. I'm not in control here. World's upside down. I feel alone. That's strengthening yourself in the Lord. That's going to him and talking to him about what's going on in your life. Isn't that what Philippians says? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You ever been there? I've been there. I'm still there. 
go to him, express to him my, 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 my fears, my anger. I go to him and I express to him the things that are going on and that I'm out of, that life's, I'm no longer in control. I'm desperate. And guess what? Guess what always happens? Always, always when I go, God does something that is so amazing. I don't even know how to describe it. He gives me a peace. He doesn't say, okay, George, I'm going to take care of this problem. This is what you got to do. That doesn't happen. That's never happened. But he's given me a peace to just keep going on. Strength. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's been many times when he's given me that peace, it didn't turn out okay. But I had an assurance that my God was with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to choose. You got the crisis makes you choose, but you, I'm telling you, you've got to choose to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You've got to choose that yourself, okay? Choose that yourself. Here's the third thing, okay? You have to seek the Lord's guidance through the crisis. That's what David's doing. David, when he's praying, you know, I mean, he's being very specific here. God, do I go after them? And now, are they okay? Am I going to find them okay? I mean, he's being very specific in his prayers. Do you know how to do that? Do, do you know how to do that? You know, when my little ones were little, they didn't just come to me and say, Oh, Daddy, bless me. No, when we went to Walmart, they looked at that toy and they said, I want that toy! That's specific, right? You don't walk into McDonald's and say, give me whatever. No, you're like, chicken nuggets. Give me the shake. I got a coupon. You're specific, right? Why can't we do that with God? Oh, God, help me out of my problem. No, you know what's going on. You say, God... This is happening. This is happening. I don't know what to do about this situation. God, I need you to do something here. I need you to change that man's mind. I need you to work this situation. God, I need money. Get specific, right? Oh, no, I'm spiritual. God, please bless me. No, no, keep, I mean, God wants to know. Do you do know what I'm saying? God wants to know. you got to seek guidance. See, that's the problem with a lot of us. We don't seek guidance. Ah. ah. This just occurred to me. You know what's going on with us when we don't seek guidance? Let's just call it what it is, okay? This, I'm talking about me, okay? It's because we don't really believe. We don't really believe he'll answer us. Right? I mean, so I'm going to nod my head because I'm talking to myself here. George, you don't really believe. That's why you're not specific in your prayers. You don't really believe God will answer you through your crisis. You, you feel like you, because again, remember now who's in control. I'm in control. But I'm a Christian, so I got to do the spiritual thing. You're not in control. Who's in control? God is. So you do what? You go and you talk to him. 
You get specific with him. I need you to do this, Lord. I need you to help me. That's what the crisis does. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.